Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Known as an artist among architects, Louis Barragon is among the most celebrated architects of the 20th century. Upon his death in 1988, much of his work was locked away in a Swiss bunker, hidden from the world's view. In an attempt to resurrect Barragon's life and art, boundary-redefining artist Jill Magid creates a daring proposition that becomes a fascinating artwork into itself, a high-wire act of negotiation that explores how far an artist will go to democratize access to art. The film is called The Proposal, and we're joined by the director, subject, as well as the dynamic catalyst for this particular story, and that would be Jill Magid. Jill, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Really, uh, this is such a fascinating subject, a fascinating approach to telling the story of Louis Barragon and the and the fate of his his work. I'm exceedingly curious about how what drew you to him first as an architect and an artist, but also moving past that, what was it about his story that compelled you to want to make this film? Louis Barragon's work, I hadn't been very familiar with it before entering this this project in 2013. But when I first went to see his house and studio um, called Casa Baragon, and it's a now a UNESCO World Heritage Site in a museum, and I was in Mexico because I had been invited to make a new exhibition um, for a gallery space there, and oftentimes I'm inspired by a city in which I'm invited to do work. And so I went to see Casa Baragon and I was so incredibly moved by his architecture. So I, I was led on a tour by an architecture student and his work is, is very narrative. I would say it's a, a kind of literary style of architecture. It's modernist um but with the he kind of he didn't bring modernism to mexico baragon but he made a kind of mexican modernism that was all all his own and um i was just so moved by his work and it kind of haunted me but i'm really not the type of artist that starts making artwork about an architect or another artist just because i'm moved by them so it wasn't until I started learning about his contested legacy and the problems around it that I really felt that not only the love of his work, but also these important questions about access, power, and control, was it a space that really matched the way I work? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your work. Your, in what medium do you work? And, and it's, you've described a little bit of your aesthetic, but I mean, just sort of for people understand sort of that part of you in your in your life. Yes, well, I'm, I'm an artist, a visual artist and a writer. I work in all different media. So text, I write books, I perform, I make photographs and videos and sculptures. 
So really, the choice of the media is more a conceptual one. So um, you could call me a conceptual artist. Some people have called me a romantic conceptualist, which I think is funny, but kind of true. And I, the kind of things I'm interested in are power and access. And a lot of times in my past works, I've been working with government institutions as an artist in which I, for instance, CCTV, intelligent agencies, other kinds of government organizations in which I enter them, embed myself in them, and ask questions about how the individual can find agency in the face of these larger institutions. And through that process, I make a series of artworks that that go deeper into questioning these structures of control. So you, okay, so let's go back to sort of the origin story for the film, The Proposal. By the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're talking with the director, and that would be Jill Magid, and um, just sort of, you've you've been to, you saw his, uh, his, exhibition in Mexico or you're drawn to that what was the next step for you in terms of getting the moving forward exactly what what's that first step look like for you so as I said I first saw the house and was moved by the architecture and then I met with the museum director of Casa Baragon and it is through her that I learned firstly about the contested legacy of Baragon that his archive his personal archive and his professional archive had been split, and one the personal archive was in Mexico, and the professional archive had been acquired by um, the Swiss furniture company Vitra. So my first step was to more deeply research the meaning of that, of what happens when a Swiss company takes control of a Mexican archive and trademarks his name. What are the boundaries of control? And and I had learned that it was difficult to access Baragon's work. So um, often or always the way that I explore the questions in my artwork is to start making work about it. So I wrote the director of the Baragon Foundation asking, saying that I had an exhibition in New York, which was at Art in General, and that I had wanted to make work about both the personal archive and the professional archive. I had full access to the personal archive, but I had yet to see the archive of of Bergon's drawings and work in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So twice I was denied access to the archive, and I had asked the director if I were able to show some of Baragon's work. And I listed some ideas, a chair, some photographs of his work in the exhibition. And when the response came back negatively, there was a paragraph that said, please be advised while you may show originals of Baragon's work that you find in other archives if you reproduce anything in Berrigan's archive that we own, there will be legal consequences. Yeah. So the premise of the exhibition in New York that I did called Woman with Sombrero was how do I represent represent Berrigan's work without infringing on Beatrice's copyright? And so what happened is a series of sculptures 
in which the form of um, an image or an object has to be altered. So it just about infringes but doesn't. So these strange sculptural forms are what's questioning these boundaries of what is legally allowed to be represented. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Example. Yeah, it does. And uh, there are a couple of questions uh, spring to mind about this whole thing. Um, and it's in the film, and you're the sort of response back. And by the way, you did a nice job of bringing um, other ways of presenting the story into this film. The one that you have, you have uh, a, a voiceover of Federico Zanko, her response back to you, and it is. It is so measured that this letter that you got back, it's measured, it's polite, but not too familiar. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this sort of uh, the poison pill, if you will, in the in the letter. And um, this is another important part of the film. There's there's this correspondence back and forth between you and Federica. It's interesting. I mean, it really presents a very uh, interesting narrative for the story that you're telling in addition to the story that you're telling, does that make sense? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it, it's uh, it's it's a great part of the film, and it's one that is a, it's a thread that you're. I'll I don't want to give anything away here, but your your hopeful tone in the way that you present yourself to her. This almost you know you go out of your way to to seem and feel more less threatening to what she wants as and as opposed to what you're asking is very modest and the way you went about it this sort of that back and forth in the film it it's it presents uh, a very good portrait i think as we find out in the film of the two of you in re, in not only in relation to each other but as you actually are in in in, in your own lives. And I just thought it was really, it's a fascinating part of the film. I know I'm dwelling on it a little more than I probably should, but it's an important part no, of the film. No, I see it as the backbone. Sorry. No, go ahead, please. No, the epistolary relationship between Federica Zanko, who's the director of um, the Berrigan Foundation, um, and Beatrice headquarters, at Beatrice headquarters, and I is the backbone of the film and I would say that letter writing is at the heart of my practice because the work really I understand systems of control as being made up of people right you know they're not these fetishistic institutions where they just exist without people behind them they're made up of choices and mission statements and ideas and Federica was an amazing interlocutor um, her letters were absolutely measured um, and careful and, and thoughtful. Um, we absolutely have different ideas, but I fully respected the, the fact that she engaged with me about Baragon and the archive because this exploration of Baragon's work and the copyright imposed upon it would never have been able to be explored hadn't that epistolary relationship developed for so long and in such depth. Yeah, it's a it's it's very fascinating part of the film. And there's another thing about this as well. You had access to his home, where you stayed for some period of time, and that and his aesthetic. As I think it's important to point out, the aesthetic of his art and of his architecture frames this film 
in the way that you approached and the way that it looks and it feels it's very meditative it's very there's a there's a certain carryover between the two and this or I don't know if that's the right word but sort of a melding of the the, the work of Baragon and your your approach to making this film it's a seamless part. It feels seamless. It feels so comfortable. I guess that's a better word, word for it. Yeah. The film feels exceedingly comfortable to be in. And I feel like I'm walking around Baragon's residence through this film. I feel like I got to know his sensibilities by, by virtue of how you approach the film in, a, in, all, in addition to the way you explained his life and his relationship to his importance as an architect and an artist. Um, I don't know if I have a question. I'm just, it's a, it's a wonderful. No, but I, Please. no, I, I love what you're saying because it was very, very important to me. And also Jared Alterman, who's the cinematographer right away. The feeling of Baragon's work is so meditative, as you said, um, ghostly, but not in a scary way, ghostly in, um, a kind of foe of presence way. I mean, you feel very present in his architecture, kind of aware of the walls, which are almost like paintings because of the, the color and the texture and how he uses light and dark that you'll go through a small dark hallway and then it opens up into a fully lit living room. He, he's so conscious of these decisions and it was really important to me as as the director, that you as the audience absorb Baragon's environment rather than me educating you in a kind of academic or didactic way. You know, that you use me as a surrogate, my body in his body of work to move you through it and learn about him. So Baragon kind of unfolds for you in the course of the 83 minutes of the film. Yeah, no, that's how it comes across. What, how I would characterize it as someone who <laughs> has, has no business talking about uh, the artistic uh, merits of, of his work, it's just in the sense of a, as a viewer and a, as a feeling about it, is that what, what, as you're walking through his home, as, you're, as we see his, his work of the towers in Mexico, is it Mexico City where the towers are? Yeah, 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 the satellite towers. It 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 it's one of those things where uh, it, it his work is it's striking initially, right? Initially, you look at mm-hmm. that that's out of place. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem that doesn't look right or whatever. However, your reaction might be, but then as you look at it and as you s- stop to pay attention to it, you start looking at other relationships to the what he's mm-hmm. doing. You look at the the sky. You look at its place in the in a plaza, whatever it might, it just sort of becomes something of a. It's it's art. It's but it's it's not. It's also kind of a question mark in some ways, or at least it poses something to you that you need to process. In in and and so I that's a thing. I love that. <laughs> yes, and and that's why I think he's. I believe he's always called, you know, the artist and the poet among architects, because I think it's like the architecture and this and that. It's like an ellipse, you know, it brings you to another place. And he has a very specific vocabulary that he built over his career. Maybe 
you know, at least as a conceptual artist, my own practice, I um, I hold dear this building of a vocabulary for each project. And so a lot of the, the choices in the film are also a kind of vocabulary of my own that are inspired by his own vocabulary. You know, so how it's filmed or the decisions of bringing in my sculptures, which are, you know, part of the film, but sort of seamlessly is a way of using some of Berrigan's vocabulary to transform into other artworks that ask the questions about how difficult it is to access his work and reproduce it. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and by the way, his his archives are immense. He was a prodigious uh Man, he really worked hard at what he did, and the amount of material that's in this archive that is now owned by uh, Vitra, which you said makes yeah makes furniture. Are they have they incorporated his aesthetic into their into their furniture? Or was it something that was kind of a sort of a cousin, if you will, of the work he was doing? What, how has that had, if at all, had any bearing on on their work at Vitra? I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, I think from what I've seen, but I'm certainly not the right person to ask about this, but what I've seen is at least with Baragon's archive, that has stayed intact within the foundation. And I, I, I do know because I used it in one of my artworks that um, Vitra makes miniatures, um, one to six, um, scale of some of the famous furniture that it owns the copyright and reproduces. And they have one of Baragon's famous chairs, who was, all, it was actually designed along with a Cuban female designer, Clara Porset. You can buy the, the miniature of Baragon's Butaka chair. But as of yet, I haven't seen them reproducing the chairs, for instance, that, that you can buy. Mm-hmm. So it's more right now that the work is at the foundation. Um, but Vitra works with a, a whole host of architects and designers. And and my questions towards Vitra are very specific. They're about Baragon's archive and how difficult it is to access if you are not chosen to access it. So even when you said right, right. that you are not someone who knows architecture so much, so you're not the scholar to speak on it. You know, I think there's a place for scholars to speak that's super important, but there's also a place for others to speak from different perspectives yeah. that um, yeah. is what allows legacy to grow. Yeah. Well, the, the I want to let our listeners know that we're speaking with the director of uh, the new film, new documentary film called The Proposal. Uh, it's a story of a lot of different things, but certainly about the life of architect Louis Barragan, as well as his archive and many other interesting questions come up uh, regarding uh, copyright. And we'll get into that in just a second, but I want to let people know that they can see the film. It's coming up here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Monica Film Center on uh, on May 31st. Oh, that'll be at May 31st, and as well as down here to Orange County, which is where we're broadcasting from, to the West Park on June 7th. Uh, are you, by the way, just uh, uh, that's off, off topic a little bit, but are you in town for uh, the 
opening here in Los Angeles? Yes, I am. I'm coming. Um, I'm coming to the opening weekend and doing some Q and A's um, that first weekend. Fantastic. So it would be great if people come out. Oh, great, fantastic! So you'll be here on Friday, uh, May thirty first, and June first. That's a Saturday, as well, and at the Monica Film Center. Terrific, terrific film. Um, theater you should go to check it out it's right there on the promenade here in in santa monica california a great spot just to hang out but also a really great place to see wonderful film uh, put together and presented by people who really care about it well in the last couple of minutes i have with you jill and um the the film again it looks great we talked about uh the work or maybe we need to talk a little more about uh, just the work of uh of Jared um, Alderman and how that works together also with your sound design, the soundtrack, T. Griffin did the uh, some of the, the music in the film. All this works together and it just, it, it, it flows, it really does. It, it pulls together all of the elements in the, that in the film. And I didn't, did you want to uh, say anything about how all of that came together? Sure, sure. Um, well, Jared Alterman, um, I was introduced to him by Laura Poitras, who is the executive producer of the film. And I've made a lot of videos in my in my art career, but I had yet to make a feature film. And so when Laura and Field Division um, commissioned me for it, she the first person she inter, uh, uh, introduced me to was Jared Alterman, the cinematographer, and I had watched some of his previous work, his own film, and immediately within four minutes was like, yes, he's <laughs> the right person. So Jared and I flew to Mexico together, and just right away when Jared and I were talking, we just were on the same page, and we didn't want to shoot Baragon's work the way it's usually shot. Um, but, uh, you know, Baragon's work is so photographic. It's not even photogenic. It's photographic. Baragon designed his buildings to be photographed well, and he was very controlling over that because he knew at the time he was making architecture that a lot of Europeans were not coming to see Mexican architecture. So he had to take great photographs to get them into these European magazines. So... Um, which is the irony, of course, that you're not allowed to photograph Baragon's work without <laughs> permission from Switzerland. So anyway, Baragon, excuse me, uh, Jared and I really um, were on the same page of how to film Baragon's work and how to slowly unfold it and to kind of bring in the haunting quality of his work also because of this idea of, uh, in the question in the film about what is the body versus what is the body of work and how to humanly approach um, the space and these questions. So um, we really, he really filmed it and I directed it with that in mind. And then T. Griffin, um, his music is incredible and um, also brings in that kind of haunting meditative feeling so you kind of melt into the film um and then also ramps it up um towards the end yeah. where the controversy starts unfolding yeah. um so this and rumble audio ryan at rumble audio did um 
profound effects. So we really work together as a very small team to get the emotional and visual qualities we all yeah. imagined from this. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I, I really want to make sure people understand that uh, this is a film that is, as we, as I've been describing, in this kind of aesthetic that goes along with what Barragan was doing and all, and it's. But it's if there's a film that this is a. I don't think I've given this its due in terms of it's a, a detective story, layered on top of the uh, celebration of his work, on top of this, you know, this hopeful proposal, this well-intentioned proposal that is made to the people in charge of the, his archive. There's a whole lot of things going on, uh, and I want people to understand it is it is something that will more than hold your attention. It is a kind of, I won't say whodunit, that's not quite the right way to put it, but it, it certainly has a detective story quality to um, reveal f- for those who, uh, who, are, are, who are seeing the film. So is that a fair a fair way to put it, Jill? Yes, I would say I would say absolutely that it kind of has the element of a thriller. Um, that it's a seductive film in which um, it's certainly not a biopic on Louis Barragan. That there's many um, other works that, if you want to, you know, have an academic or scholarly or historical approach to Barragan, this this isn't the film. Um, this will reveal his work in, uh, in the ways that we've been talking about and also focus on the questions of what happens when a company or a corporation controls an artist's work and what happens in terms of access and how his legacy um, moves forward into the future. So it, it has a kind of love story, ghost story, thriller right. um, right. sensibility about it and then these larger questions are wrapped up into it rather than hitting you on the head. Right. And I'll tease them with this a little bit. I had no idea that copyright could, could come down to an accent over a letter, but that's uh, that's for people I to... Mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> <Is> that... Yes. <laughs> the, the neon in the film that people will see kind of sums up the whole question about the body of the artist versus the signature as a corporate entity yeah. um, right there is the, is the crux of the question. Well, uh, Jill Magid, I want to thank you so much for your time today, for spending time here on, on Film School Radio with us, and also this, for this beautiful film and um, that is, it will open your eyes on a lot of different levels and certainly to the work of Louis Barragan. I want to let people know that they can find out more about you at Jill J-I-L-L-M-A-G-I-D dot com is your particular website. The film is being distributed through Oscilloscope, and you can find out more about the film there at Oscilloscope, at the proposal, and check it out on Oscilloscope, as well as you will be here on the weekend of May 31st here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Monica Film Center for a Q&A on Friday and Saturday, and people should be checking on that as well. Jill Maggot, thank you so much. For your, sp- for your time here today on Film School. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. 
You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.